we have so many things to cheers to, things and people. So so let's just start running down I'm this I'm going to hold list. my arm up and do see it. if I can do it. No, I love that. I love yeah. that. Good for you. you Get your cardio up. in. A uh, couple things. We want to cheers to the Moon City Con, which was a local convention that we uh, attended a couple of weeks ago. It was absolutely fantastic. Good turnout. Great gameplay. We appreciate all of the people who put it on, which includes the 417 Gamers Group, the local Springfield gaming group that has just been phenomenal. Rick Bagwell of the Bananana Podcast, uh, Catherine Yoder, Vaughn, Ben Ennis of the Not Safe for Work Podcast, and Kyle. All of you were absolutely incredible. If I forgot anybody, I'm sorry, but thank you so much for everything that you did. We had such a blast and we're excited to go back next year. Also, congratulations to Burke, who oh, let God, us know. more. I mean, I'm very grateful. This is the last one. I who tore let a rotator cuff on the shoulder. His thesis so heavy. went swimmingly well. Uh, and that the podcast provided him with hours of entertainment while studying. We're happy that we could do that for you, and congratulations to you. Uh, that is all. I'm so glad for you. It hurts. Clink your glasses. Move on. Hey everybody, I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer. And this is the Mix 6 Podcast, where we have six beers, six conversations, and we rate them on a five-point scale. Uh, We also cheers to uh, lots of kind folks, too. Uh, And as the uh, podcast trainer ices my shoulder from that extremely long cheers. We do have a podcast trainer now. Yes. That's what Uh, Patreon covers at this point. Yes, thank you very much. He is quite expensive. But he went to the best schools. You'd think he'd cut us a deal because, like, this is not hard work. No. And we are not, we're not here to get in shape. We're here not to suffer. Yeah, he's not talking now because uh, it's very clear in his contract that that would be quite a bit more money. Right. So, right. uh, Thank God he has had that discipline. Uh, But anyway, we're here to have the the beers and the conversations. But we, we tend to do that. Uh, with a rating system. Before we get to the rating system, though, we should have some pre-party stuff. By the way, we're, we have a game. It's called Party Foul. It's about drunk ducks uh, strategically moving around a party with about the same level of tactics as I don't, you would imagine of a drunk duck. I don't want to be too hubrisy here, but it's the best game you've never played. Yes. Uh, we are living gods, uh, the pinnacle of game design. And you're really missing out if you're not backing it on Kickstarter. That's absolutely right. It's I've on gotten Kickstarter. better at the self-promotion thing, right? Look That's how you, you do it. It's That's on, how you do it. It is, yeah. 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 Uh, Only just be sincere. And just we're like, hey, immortal. Book, we can never die. Shutter, uh, shutter. No, no, no. Okay, no, 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 you should no, all be graced. No, 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 no. Too far? Too far. Too far. Okay. Anyway, it's a pretty good game. It's on you Kickstarter. You want to make them feel better. You should You should back it. No. Oh. Well, I thought it was self. Anyway, we have to talk about this. It's on Kickstarter May 23rd. Yeah. Uh, but we do have a rating system, so we do. Uh, let us hear about it. Okay, so um, I've been thinking a lot lately about toys from my childhood, largely because we went down in the basement the other day because Brandy wanted to find her coveted box of rocks, and guess what we couldn't find? Brandy's box of rocks. So what is it, Why is it coveted? Um, is I that like, is I that don't like know. code, or is there no. an actual... No box of rocks. Is it like a pet rock? No, Brandy, Brandy. Is there a dead rock down there? Because yes. it, f- it f- forgot to feed it. Brandy grew up with a tackle box of rocks, and if I'm being totally honest, are these like polished, like gemstone rocks? Uh, or something? Some of them are. Some of them are just interesting rocks that she found in her travels and her movement around the country. I, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that. While I don't necessarily understand where all of these things came from, I understand that it's important to my wife, and it's really bad that we can't find and it. Is this a rock-based rating system? No, it absolutely isn't. What Did you think was, you would mention a box of rocks, and we wouldn't like 
pull that thread next time on the mix six podcast geodes <laughs> that seems like five Pie right <laughs> right yeah uh-huh. five in the interim <laughs> what though, isn't going to be a five right yeah so uh, we were we were down in the limestone basement. and you know why <laughs> and i was looking at i was looking at a bunch of like boxes and and i still have many uh, thanks to my mother's um, obsessive It's keeping. because it's water-dissolvable. That's why limestone is a two. Oh, yeah, we, got, we got it. We got it. <laughs> uh, my mother's obsessive keeping of some of my childhood things, I still have some boxes of my old toys from when I was a child. Mm-hmm. Some of them are very like expensive, I think, at this point, and meaningful. Oh, yeah. Some of them are just random shit. So I was going through some of these things looking for a box of rocks, and it struck me, we have not talked about trendy toys from our childhood. If the 90s were defined by any one thing, it may have been trendy children's toys. Yeah, the toy commercials were the primary artistic product of the time. My God, like I watch Teen Titans on Cartoon Network now, and I feel sorry for the children who have to sit through this mindless drivel, because we were watching some great television commercials for yeah. toys. What do they movies. have now? Clash of Clans? Poor things. Yeah. So anyways, truly a lost generation. If you've listened to this at any point, you know that we rate our beers on a, on a five-point rating system. A one is one of the worst beers you've ever had. A five is one of the best beers you've ever had. And so, in our rating system of trendy toys from our childhood, which would be toys from the 90s generally, I mean late 80s, early to mid-90s. We old AF. We old. A one, which... Which is absolutely disgusting, and I think non-negotiable at this table. A one is Gak. Oh, Gak. No. Nickelodeon went through a phase where they thought, hey, we could also make toys, because kids and things and kids and things. So here's a toy. It's just really disgusting stuff you play with with You ever hands. find old Gak? I assume all... all with the hair on it? I, yeah, and I, like I assume dried. all Gak is just old Play-Doh. The, the thing... Oh, it's worse. The thing about Gak, though, is like when it gets old, unlike Silly Putty and other things, it's always different. Like, it's dried out mm. and disgusting, but in, like, a new way, two years after you saw it be gross and disgusting, you're like, well, I'm not touching that. In the box, it stays with the rocks and other things that are important <laughs> in my basement. And uh, when you come back to it, it's like, well, that's that's gross and some completely brand new, new vector. That's a yeah. Jeff Vandermeer novel. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Gak is like the, uh, the VD remnant of 90s children's toys. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? So, like, just don't touch Gak, people, okay? Mm-hmm. A two, and my understanding is that you disagree with this a little bit. A two, Far too low. A two for me is a super soaker. What is wrong with you? All right, so let me, let me make this important point of Did distinction. Did you get super soaked a lot? There we go. Okay. The important point of distinction is... Oh, you were is, an indoor kid. That's right. Super soakers are fun to use. It's fun to super soaker. It's shitty to be super soaked, is how I feel about that. I, I had that, but I eventually won the arms race. Like right. I saved up and got one of those like gallon pack right. things. So yeah. I was less of like... I was more like the flamethrower guy in the battalion, and yeah. everyone on the street was glad to have me around. Yeah. If they ever went into a fortified position, they just sent Caleb in. And I just laughing like the heavy from Team Fortress. Just yeah, just I had a two gallon pack on my back. It just went wild. Yeah. Caleb the Hegemon. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. anyways, uh, this is why I feel like it was a two because I was the kid on the other side of that, being like, "Why the fuck does he have a, a goddamn fire hose?" No, like, Super Secret Victory tastes sweet. Right. It's the the water of triumph. Uh, yes. Ugh. Okay. Easily so, a four. <laughs> A three, this is like standard 90s trendy toy. And I mean that in like, it's not particularly fun, but this is the thing which defines toys of the 90s. So for me, it's tech decks, which are the little skateboards that you use with your fingers. But also, it wasn't just a finger-based skateboard. There were like tech deck skate parks and tech deck... 
struts and wheels that you could put on. You could customize the shit out of your tech decks. You could get tech decks, which reflected different skateboard brands of the time. For me, it feels right at home in what was the 90s for us, which is like the ability to customize, the ability to modify, but also ridiculous and cheap plastic. It, Caleb, it's the Venn diagram between kids who read Thrasher magazine and kids who are clumsy. That's so right. And they're the worst. <laughs> My God. There's a grand total of like two children I've ever met. Percent of them are here that owned tech decks that I did not get into a fight to in school, <laughs> and that may include as an adult. Uh, if I see a child with a tech deck now, I'm going to be skeptical of him. I want to. I want to say something about producer Ross for a hot second. He said a bunch of stuff on this podcast over the last year and a half. That was the most prescient thing he's ever said. <laughs> Nothing has Is that ever a sick bird. No, nothing has ever been said to me. His most sterling <laughs> contribution is like a cutting point about the nature of the tech deck. Yeah, on it. Well, honestly, because it didn't involve vaporwave or anime, and oh, so well, it, uh, I, that does go. It goes up in my estimation. There, but, you have a point. But what he just said felt like someone had peeled back the mask of the universe, <laughs> and I was looking through to God. Like, yes. <laughs> That is capital T truth. He did sort of accurately convey why I just like those people. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, so you uh, agree with it's, me. No, it's it's not a three. All right. So a four. <laughs> now we're getting into the stuff that like actually has some meaning, some value. You want more of it. And I don't know that I knew anyone, except for me, actually. I did not get into this toy. But it seemed to be the craze or one of the crazes of the 90s. Tamagotchis, man. No, dear God, no. What? You picked good toys from the 90s. You picked the digital lesson in death you attach to your keychain. Why would you do... You know what the kids would love? Let's take a reminder of mortality, make it 8 bits, and like... Two bits, really. and, yeah, and like, and really just attach it to them via some sort of metal class, a chain, if you will, uh, a reminder of responsibility. The the same chain that's dragging them into adulthood that will eventually drag them into oblivion. Let's just let's just slap that around their necks and uh, make them pay for it. And uh, we'll give it a happy Japanese name, and you can clean up its digital poop. Counter argument. Um, because we were literally enculturated as children of the 90s to learn to accept death if we did not pay attention to things. We, we are the age and the era in which the things that we don't really need and or want die. Applebee's. <laughs> and then a five. Uh, Tamagotchi's a zero. It's not a toy. It's a tough love life lesson. <laughs> Kim, did you have a bad weekend because of that? <laughs> right, seriously. Did you, did, did just, you just keep your shit alive, man. Did your Tamagotchi die I didn't own Friday? Tamagotchi's. God. I was just there in junior high where people would randomly burst into tears in classes. Like, it's just, bad hey, we're supposed cat. to be reading about... Asia or something in social studies, and then some girl, two rows to the right, just bursts into tears because Fluffy died. That and sounds like a bonus, not a negative. Seriously, I'm yeah. not a sadist. <laughs> right. That's the kids with tech decks. Yeah. That's a that's a feature, not a bug, man. I mean, uh, but it's a distraction to class and the ennui of right. having to learn. And the ennui of having to learn. Producer Ross is now two for Thanks. two. Thanks. Uh, suck if anyone here did that for a living. They might find that offensive. And then a five. Uh, what I think typifies peak. Jesus, my Get God! Well, produce. He got that. he got pretty excited because I'd been so complimentary um, that he decided to flip the table. Yeah. A five. What I think is probably peak toy of the '90s, both in its simplicity but also in its popularity. It's the Pog. 
You still got pogs, don't lie. Oh no, you're the mill house. I do not have pogs. I so here, here's what I want to say about my pogs. I never actually played pogs with other children, but I had a lot of pogs. The idea of losing my toys, now nah, I'm good. But the idea of owning cardboard discs with the white, green, pink, blue, yellow, black, red ranger on them, the most important thing I've ever done. Completing the set of Power Rangers pogs, including a couple of the slammers, Three or four greatest achievements of my entire Pogs life. Pogs is in there with Tamagotchis and that it just teaches a life lesson about capitalism and gambling. There he <laughs> is. Children. There he is. I'm I, sorry. It, it, it at least gets up to a one, though, because at the end of the life lesson, you realize that all of this currency is meaningless cardboard paper my God. that does nothing for I mean, Spencer, you. you're forgetting the Millhouse rule. If uh, Millhouse is shown to like something on The Simpsons, it's automatically no, terrible. I, I, I think what I've forgotten Remember is that... Remember, Alf, he's back in Pog form. <laughs> I think what I've forgotten is that in Caleb's world, Stick and hammer are best toys. <laughs> and so, my bad. Uh, with that rating system, we'll get some beer, we'll get some topics, we'll be right back. Hey, Spencer, what are you drinking? We are very fortunate on this day to have a uniquely exceptional beer in our presence. Uh, a couple of things. I'm about to drink Founders Brewing KBS, their killer breakfast stout, which is widely coveted as one of the better stouts of all of brewing. And quick shout out, Kevin Trader, who has been a loyal listener of this podcast and who is a firefighter in service of the Kansas City, Kansas Fire Department, thank you, sir, um, was going to send us a four-pack of this. Let me know that, and I found one the next day so that he didn't have to sacrifice because this is a $23 four-pack of beer. So thank you so much, Kevin, yeah. for the kind sentiment. And no Stillwater Roll. We've had this before, and we, it's delicious. We actively seek this beer out every year. We um, may have waited in lines. Right. It's uh, also possible places to open for it that we reviewed this beer last year and we just forgot it. But the good news is they do a different, slightly different iteration every year. So this is the 2018 Founders Brewings KBS. Couldn't be more excited to try this year's variant. Yep. And they added alcohol to it this time with a higher ABV. Which yeah, twelve percent of it. It always seems like a good idea. Jesus, yeah. that's twelve point three percent. Can I get in on this? Just yeah, jump in. I'm going to try some. Of it's that. not reasonable, people. That's a hard pogs. That's a slammer if I've ever had one. Um, it is it is a real it is a real slammer. It's yeah. um there are you lose that one in a batting ring. Totally. You're oh, locking yeah. yourself in your room. Yep. Never um, coming out. The interesting thing about KBS, if you can find it, you, you can drink the rest, producer Ross, my God. Um <laughs> this is a professional setting. Um interesting thing about KBS, there is a heavy balance of coffee. Uh, what tastes like a little bit of cocoa or chocolate, and then just a really good rich stout flavor, and, and it, it comes feel... out as like a new flavor. To That's me. right. Like I never like. Oh, there's the coffee. Yeah, are those? It's it is just uh, perfectly blended. Supplemental. Yeah. It enhances. If you can find some KBS, get some KBS. People, uh, I know that our friends from the Good Brews Bad Views podcast up in Michigan are excited to have the KBS. Good on you, boys. Uh, we're we're happy that we found uh, one of the remaining four packs in Springfield. But so, anyway, what are we doing talking about beer on this beer podcast? Our fans hate that, so we are. Uh, we got to get to something else. Uh, so what are we talking about now? We be talking in dissecting our fun, which is as you know, typically our first segment where we talk about board games. Slightly different take today. We're not going to talk just about board games, but instead about the gaming tournament. 
So under what conditions or for what games you would actually sit down in a competitive environment to play a board game. See, and I saw you do this at Moon City Con. And I've never done it. And you wanted to be in other ones, too. Yep. And uh, I have never had the desire to do this at all under any circumstances. So I'm I'm quite interested as someone who's actually broached that. Yep. Uh, So why did you... What made you go after (sighs) I don't... (sighs) Yeah, this is partially partially the reason I wanted to talk about this and because you, and you you want us well you runner up to scythe tournament yeah 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 I, yes that's correct that is the way the best way of describing because he brought that. some ringers in to lose for him right yeah <laughs> yeah that's true in the first game uh, Ross and Sarah did play and so I got lucky having gotten second in that game against someone who couldn't technically qualify for the tournament and so I got their qualification spot and then in the semifinal game there were five players but the top four. Moved Moved on to the final round, and I got fourth. As most nerds will attest, technically winning is the best type of winning because it's usually the only type of winning you're gonna experience. And I technically won the fuck out of a <laughs> Jamie Stegmeyer autographed scythe expansion, so I feel like I won here. So let me say this: um, the idea of playing in a competitive gaming tournament has generally been, for the course of my gaming life, uh, vomit inducing. <laughs> um, I I was in fact so interested in the idea that people would sit down and play one another in competitive game settings that the first pilot of my master's thesis was about Magic the Gathering tournaments because I wanted to understand why (sighs) people participated in these events. (sighs) Magic's actually worth studying in that level, I mean, in an academic sense. Yeah, as like a Jane Goodall (laughs) gorilla (laughs) in the mist sort of scenario. For shame, sir. As a Magic the Gathering player, I take issue at your ape-like reference to yeah. my love of You're a card right. game. You're right, apes have more social con- continuity. <laughs> this is taking <laughs> a turn. This I has- bet you could, instead of like, do, I mean, just sub- substitute poker for Magic and you could write a noir, like, uh, game or movie or novel, but, you know, like, there's hundreds of thousands of dollars at stake at the highest levels. Like, I, I understand that. Yeah. And often, it doesn't lead to the best human behavior. <laughs> well, no. Oddly enough, when you put entire lifetime worth of money on the line over a game, the game ceases to be, I don't, I don't know, fun, perhaps. Well, I mean, you can say that Every about Magic all- player I've known has constantly tried to bootstrap my body into some sort of strange labor scenario where I would go to places with them, say I'm going to play Magic, then not play Magic, then they would feast off the cards that some man gave me, and then I would be left to go wander away by myself. This is the typical ethos, the the moral compass of your average magic player I've encountered. I'm sorry. My it's a hot take. I, I hope this is the tipping point for the internet and Caleb Stokes. <laughs> I look forward to this internet fire. Having said that, so like I played a lot of magic, never wanted to play magic competitively. And then a couple of weeks ago at Moon City Con, um, I got tagged into a scythe tournament, which is a game I'm not terribly familiar with, but am more familiar with now having played it a few Very times pretty game. in a tournament. So, uh, we've talked about scythe at length. It is absolutely stunning. The level of depth in that game strategy is kind of like mind-numbing given how easy it feels like that game plays once you get a hang of it. Uh, We've talked about this. See previous episodes for our our love of of Scythe. So, having said that, why now at 31 did I take the plunge and try playing a game competitively? Here is what happened, um, I think. I, for the longest time, games have been a real social function for me. I've Mm -hmm. enjoyed games for for two primary reasons. We are are not power gamers. That's right. No. One, 
opportunity to excuse maybe even in some cases to sit with my friends and and have some built-in conversation mover you know what i mean like i like hanging out with my friends games provide some necessary movement along a conversation line and some shared reason to get together in the first place they've always solved that problem for me two the kind of secondary reason that i've enjoyed games is i enjoy learning it is fun for me to explore the depths of a game's mechanic. Um, yeah, we'll often take like suboptimal strategies just to be like, just to I see. wonder how this works. That's and right. And we'll be like, oh, that's how that works. Or it doesn't work at all. Right, don't do and, that. And either way, we're like, I'm glad I learned that. Yeah, like I was actually, um, for as much magic as I played for a number of years and for as much money as I spent on Magic the Gathering, which is a separate issue. Um, although if you were thinking about upping your Patreon pledge, now would be a good time because I do have some <laughs> magic debts I'd like to pay off. Um <laughs> Uh, I was often interested not in the most technically effective decks, like how quickly can I beat you? I was very interested in that. How many mechanics can I build to make one big trick work later in the game, right? Because I was just interested in kind of like moving, whiteboarding the game process as it were. So for me, the competitive setting, especially with strangers, always violated those two rules, right? Yeah. It's not about learning. I mean... Uh, it's it, about having had already learned. Right. Or, yeah. or it's about learning on the fly. It's right? about assessment. Adapting. It's about right? assessment of your learning. That's not, right. Not and, learning something new. And I'm adapting is fine for me, but I'd like to adapt after a long tale of getting to see the thing happen mm-hmm. in multiple settings and in multiple ways. And um, because I'm generally uncomfortable interacting with people that I don't know, the idea that I would just sit down at a table and remove the social aspect of gaming from what is primarily a social function for me, fuck that. Which blows my mind because when I first met you, you were as hardcore as I've seen anybody into the poker scene. Yeah. Which is like, let's all schedule an appointment to go meet dickheads right for four hours at a time yeah. like oh can't go that night going to meet some real assholes yeah and hang out with them in an awkward silence for as long as i possibly can spend money doing it yeah that, no that's totally reasonable <laughs> but but i think to extrapolate from 18 year old me we would assume that i would currently be dead and certainly not sitting at this table on a microphone <laughs> yes I agree, I agree so so yeah no i'm with you that that as i've as i've emerged from my cocoon uh, I have become uh, infinitely less comfortable well, in those I, I think your average con tournament space is definitely a mitigation between like the competitive aspects of what you look for in right. poker with the rampant assholery that went around it. Yeah. There, and most MTG tournaments. There probably is some of that. And so, uh, in, in both of these Scythe games that I played uh, the, the two weekends ago, there were people that I didn't really know playing those games. And what struck me, uh, and, and then not only in Scythe, I mean, we ended up playing a couple other games with a few folks, but what struck me is that, and I don't know if it's because I've really leaned into whatever this is, thanks to the podcast and thanks to meeting all the wonderful people that I've met through the podcast. Um, I don't know if it's that I've just leaned into the, yeah, and I'm going to interact with some people I don't know and talk about games and things that weren't necessarily a part of my core being a year and a half or two or five years ago. Um, but I was leaning into it there. For whatever reason, though, I know that I went home the evening of that tournament and the the, the larger con um, and was not only enthused by the, the time that I'd had, but shocked at how much I'd enjoyed that experience. And so I, I think it's maybe that I've just... I, I think it depends on the game, though. I, I totally think there's something to that. Like, Scythe seems like a good game. Uh, that, that pitch car tournament looked super fun. All ages. Oh, my God. Young, old... Uh, it was great. Parents with kids, like 
Super awesome. Love that kind of stuff. One of the great and, tragedies of my life is that I did not get in on that pitch car tournament. I think because I was in the scythe tournament. Yeah. And then the next day there was an Azul tournament. And had Again, I not, just right. a, a pit, like a, a rainbow coalition of people playing. It. All ages. Yeah. All, yeah I, that stuff is great. Right. Had right. I not been playing in a scythe game, I probably would have jumped into the Azul tournament. So I don't know. I don't know if it's I've just become more comfortable in my own skin that this is partially who I am and what I do. Um, I don't know if it's that I've reached a point where because we we now treat games uh, on the weekends as these fun places to explore. But on the weekdays, when we record these types of things as these objective entities where you can talk about their value and their merit and they are objects which with, with which we interact. I don't know if that has helped me build an internal vocabulary for, and now I'm going to go interact with this object, and so it doesn't have to satisfy or fulfill the core functions of a no. game for me anymore. Um, but I'm very interested in it, and I would be, I would be particularly interested in hearing from other people because I know that a lot of uh, the mixed six community are are pretty hardcore gamers, certainly competitive. I'd want to know what it, it what is it the winning or is it the community? I'd want to know what the draw is there. Yeah, I think the tournament space is a great place for like meeting new people uh, and uh, engaging with a game in a new way. Yeah. So I think if that's your motivation and that's the motivation of the majority of the rest of the crowd. Um, yeah, go for it. I think the only thing that like draws me from it, and now that you're talking about it, it seems like somewhat unfairly, uh, is the fact that there are these sort of tournaments that have established communities, and those communities can be sort of toxic. Sure. But I think, um, as you've sort of convinced me, that like it's pretty wrong to sort of generalize that to every game. And and use it as an excuse to at sort a of minimum. I was surprised. Turtle up and like not not engage with a, a an, an Azul tournament, which I don't think anyone's going to be like wearing a aviator shades and a ridiculous hat and screaming at you when they sunset blue or something. Uh, yeah, which I can't imagine. So right. like a a tournament without this sort of like established toxic community around the game. And maybe that's the limit of what your research should be, because like I right. think you'd still have a lot of time if you'd never played Azul before and you played in a two v two Azul turn. Yeah, definitely. You know I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, anyways, those are our thoughts. Uh, wanted to explore that and are interested now uh, in really getting some feedback from all of you. N- n- now that this is a space which at least is more open to me than it once was, tell me about the kinds of games and the types of tournaments that are interesting. Um, what what you get out of it and what you're looking for in a meaningful tournament experience because this is a space that I'm willing to explore now and I, and I, I wasn't for a period of my time. So anyways, we're going to grab more beer. We're going to grab something else. Before we go, yeah. I, I, after this, I have to go to a communist meeting and every time I go, I get communist credit. Would you guys mind going with me and then just giving me your communist credit and waiting around for four to six hours without any other mean of payment or enjoyment to get out of me it? giving you my communist credit yeah. would i think be terribly communist yeah uh, so well, yeah yeah so yeah i'd be i'd be but you do it for the people if I'm a them's person. the Wait, rules you have personal ownership <laughs> of communist credit isn't that defeating the purpose what of the hell? oh man yeah it shouldn't that be like a communal space like i don't know maybe a Card game? Yeah, Shut it down, <laughs> Stokes. Caleb, what are you drinking? I'm going to drink from Destiel Brewery, the Moon Jumper, which is a milk stout that is purportedly dark, sweet, and silky. I like all those words. It's 6.1%, which is real high for a milk stout. Just um, uh, 
We've had some Destille. We did the Sour series from them. That's quite good for a milk stout. Yeah. I, I like a milk stout at 6.1. That you is feeling that? That is in your deeply flawed system, a Tamagotchi. Come on. <laughs> it is it is it is not without its problems, Spencer. I have to I have to give Kale that. I literally spent the bulk I know. of the You had me until Pogs. I mean Pogs just, is a five. Just supporting you endlessly. Also, why didn't you like I mean, I guess a Game Boy wouldn't count because I mean if a Game Boy would count It's not a, a trendy nineties toy. It's su- it was super trendy. And it was super so 90s. trendy that it's 2018 and the people are still game. buying Game Boys. Okay. Is a Tamagotchi a video game? Yeah, that's a that's a real hot dog. <sighs> <laughs> anyway, also should... snap bracelets, moon shoes. Anyway, uh, we should talk about anything else. We literally should. is going to quit the podcast. Oh, no. Reflip the table. <laughs> Uh, hey, you were tied for number one vote getters in the floating segment survey this That's week. Two ties in a row. That's a lot That's of ties. Kind of weird. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a regular old men's warehouse in here. But um, they <laughs> love ties. That's why we pay the big bucks. Anyways, folks. we're on to Nerd Splainer, where Caleb um, Caleb writes the papers he never got to write, as we've decided yeah, to talk about. It's it. degree papers I never got around to in grad right. school. That's right. And in today's Nerdsplainer, Caleb, what is it you'd like to talk about? I want to talk about cosplay. There we go. And I also want to talk about Mikhail Bakhtin. Duh. Uh, and those Can totally you really go together. talk about one without the other? <laughs> exactly. I know this is sort of, uh, you know, surface level reading, but uh, I'm going to give it a shot. So um, I want to talk about cosplay. Uh, and I think cosplay is one of the last besieged bastions of what Bakhtin called the carnivalesque. And you've done some reading on this, too. Have. Correct? Have. All right. So uh, in Nerdsplainer, quick, uh, quick definitional. The carnivalesque, as defined by Wikipedia's summary of Mikhail Mikhailovich Bakhtin's work. Really leaned into this Because one. Uh, I am not going to reread it. And as if you've ever read Bakhtin... You know why. <laughs> uh, no one does that by choice. You learn something from it, but it's like, you know what? I think I'll just go through basic training again. It was so fun the first time. Like, uh, it is some dense Russian shit. Yeah. Uh, but it's defined, according to Wikipedia, defining it uh, is uh, a literary mode that subverts and liberates the assumptions of the dominant style or atmosphere through humor and chaos. So Bakhtin's definition was sort of the medieval feast of fools, where you'd put on these body plays in cathedrals, when you would have this sort of a, a masquerade character and an inversion of the peasant royalty dichotomy. The the serf nobility dichotomy would be sort of upended in this sort of ritual space where it allowed a sort of um, steam valve, uh, sort of a uh, release pressure valve for the culture that was deeply repressed uh, to get it out of their system before it returns to this sort of like rigid dogmatic expression. Um, so Bakhtin uses it in terms of a, it's a literary criticism of Rabelais uh, that he takes from cultural observation. But um, I don't know if you know, I read a little Marxist literature. Who? Me, mm-hmm. me personally. What's this? Um, What's and this? Uh, some of the Marxist critics have 
sort of reappropriated the term to be back into cultural criticism, mm-hmm. uh, as it was you know originally derived from. So the components of the carnivalesque are going to be uh, a familiar and free interaction between people. So you have these interactions between unlikely people who normally don't interact before, and I think cosplay qualifies as this, and I'll get to that. Eccentric behavior, that one seems a little obvious. Uh, carnivalistic misalliances. So uh, the familiar and free format of the carnival allows everything that may normally be separated through a society to reunite. And then finally, uh, it is sacrilegious, or somewhat profane. Uh, and uh, it does that in a number of ways. In Bakhtin's case, he's arguing because it is you know, literally sacrilegious, and it's allowed without being burned at the stake or hung, because you're doing it in the carnival space. So, um, I don't think we have a lot of carnivals left in modern society. Would you disagree? Um... I don't know that I would. Uh, I think there's a lot of, uh, if you look at the music festival type places, uh, sure. you know, Burning Man. It's on my list. Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, Coachella. I'm not the, saying no. Ibiza. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, that thing that never got off the ground and everybody sued everybody about. The fire Festival. There we go, yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> the Lord of the Flies is sort of a carnival. It was a carnivalesque of fraud. Right. L- <laughs> yes. let, let me say, I'll, I'll say this. I, I can't speak to all of the, the cultural and or regional idiosyncratic carnival spaces, but I can say that it is so distinct from our standard way of life that the that there are a, a few and, and very few specific things that get called out for being like this. So I think that you're probably on to some version of an argument there. Yes. Okay. So I think they're a dead carnival society. I think Halloween is intended as one. It's dead now. Uh, it's so atomized as a culture, so commercialized that it's to the point of death. You buy your costume. Uh, you have to go to like prescribed areas because everyone's terrified of everyone else. Um, that is not the that does not fit the definition of the carnivalesque. Uh, whereas you know when we were just allowed to run roughshod around the town doing, you know, consequence free vandalism, who whatever knows we what could put or together, what knows yeah, what. Uh, that was that would be carnivalesque. So I think drag used to be there, but uh, it is really deservingly fraught and problematic now that uh, transgender rights have thankfully advanced. Uh, so the the drag show as a carnivalesque ritual is sort of seen burlesque, yeah, burlesque in that area. But again, more fraught, uh, and also by by definition of becoming more mainstream and acceptable, less carnivalesque. Um, and then music festivals, as you mentioned, but that I think is dying because of the means testing involved. Like if you can go to Burning Man you probably have the least Burning Man experience ever in life, whereas the carnivalesque is supposed to be sort of like wildly democratic. Um, So I think we have surviving carnivals. So I think cult movies. So you still have like uh, The Room and showings where everyone throws spoons and Rocky Horror Picture Show, but obviously because of the drag thing, increasingly more fraught. Um, You have uh, Guar Concerts. Not a, not an extreme means test, but boy, howdy, is it carnival? Been there, done that. Yeah, but is that not the definition of carnival? Everything like, out the window, right? And by the end of the show, everyone's the same color. That's like right. you lose even race. That's by right. The end of a guar show. I know that seems like a horrible overstatement, but there's unity in a guar crowd. The the grotesqueness and odorous the, brought us together. Yeah, and the the level of uh, the profane with which they approach anything, which 
doesn't stair step, but 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 ramps up in an exponential fa- fashion from start to finish. Totally shatters expectations about what is okay and not okay, and you enter the arena knowing that. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. that's kind of the bit there. Mm-hmm. If you just stumbled into a guar show, oh, you'd be terrified. Oh my god. Good luck to you. That's how I feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, there are places like that, but I think music largely loses out because when it costs ten thousand dollars for me to go get a slice of white bread and ants at a horrible festival, uh, it's sort of leaving out the democratic stuff. So I think cosplay is currently in the nerd space one of the strongest cultural expressions of this because. Uh, it's familiar and free interaction between people. Definitely. Um, and so at its best, it's practiced without even class signifiers. So have you ever seen uh, Cha's uh, cosplay? No. It's I'm going to butcher his name. It's Anna Cha uh, Sang Charts. Sure. Uh, he does found item cosplay. So he will do cosplay based on items he's found around his house. My favorite recently oh. is the Captain American one where he just painted red, white, and blue on a rotary fan. And then stood behind it as it spun to make the shield. Um, and it's sort of like this huge, thriving online supportive community around it because he's doing cosplay without like means testing. All right. Um, so you have this familiar and very free interaction kids cosplay, old people cosplay, parents cosplay, single people cosplay is very uh, wild. So eccentric behavior. Um, sexual expression is a big one. People are wearing clothes that are uh, not considered along the sexual norms or mores of their everyday life. Uh, so it's eccentric, not in that it's bad. It's just atypical. Um, you've got um, posing for picture, engaging in fight reenactments. Um, I would say the most interesting part of the sort of eccentric behavior is the artisanal crafting of one's costumes. Like when's the last time you stitched clothes for yourself? Like, that's a revolutionary act in a post-capitalist world. It's also like a cosplay of uh, characters that are not, like, canonical, but, like, gender-bent versions of that, like, you know. Gender-bent OCs, like, cosplaying your character that you wrote in your fan fiction, like, radically outside the norms of, you know, post-capitalism. Carnivalistic misalliances, so cosplay's Halloween for all ages, like, everyone gets to do it. Like, you don't even have to be trick-or-treating. You don't have to be of a certain age. You don't have to be behaving a certain way. Like, everyone gets to wear a costume. Um, and it does so gleefully. Also, convention spaces, due to the sheer market impact they have on spaces, as you will see at Gen Con coming right. up, Right. while you have the convention space that's sort of the confined cosplay space, you're going to go to dinner with, like, Sailor Moon and a Transformer and something vaguely related to Sonic the Hedgehog, and, like, they're all going to be eating dinner out, like, four miles away from the con, and everyone's going to have to be cool with it. Also, at some cons, I know Dragon Con particularly has a reputation for this. They get pretty crazy after hours, like yeah. Baki and Ellie. Yeah, like, and yeah. I didn't want to focus on, like, yeah, yeah. the dark side of things, because... It's not necessarily uh, the dark side, uh, but, well, I mean, yeah. it's very carnivalesque. Yeah, it's very carnivalesque, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm focusing on the positive aspects of carnivalesque, not the creepy, I don't want to go down that hotel hallway yeah, yeah. parts for me. Um, and then finally, it's sacrilegious. So I think it takes two forms here. Uh, on the one hand, uh, you've got queer cosplay, uh, and there's perhaps even some aspects of this within the furry community that is this uh, rebellion against sexual mores and uh, body type shaming and all that kind of stuff, which is very positive. And then I really think that the uh, religion it violates is not Abrahamic, but it's the religion of the market. Like, there he it is. You, uh, yeah. Copyright. Hey. <laughs> 
Yeah, you're sell. You're it's literally reveling in copyright infringement. Right. It's like let's all get together at once and just fuck the shit out of this IP. Just destroy it and do whatever we want with it, and and go hog wild. And let's do it during four confined days at this convention within this physical space. Like that's the carnival esque. We're all getting around to agree to say. I'm going to hand-stitch my own clothes with you and whoever the fuck else wants to join me, and then we're going to get together and look all weird and crazy and sexy, and then we're going to do it in the face uh, and actively stealing the IP of the corporations that rule our lives. Like, that's carnival-esque. Like, I think that's a really positive thing. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I I also think that this was a terribly artisanal and handcrafted attempt to remind people that Marxism is best, and so I think that this was... (laughs) This was also effective cosplay, Caleb. Good for you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like I had more, but I should get out. <laughs> no. I should no. I should back out of this. No, no, please. Have you, I gone too far? You've leaned in. You're wearing you're wearing a, a Captain Russia outfit. Just just lean into it with that shoulder. Okay. Throw right. that yeah, we should before Spencer compares. Well, Russia's full of right. yeah. Russia's full of capitalist pig dogs now, so wow. we can't we can't have that. Just got geopolitical. Uh so uh so what I am worried about, though, is that the carnivalesque everywhere, but in cosplay as well, can't last forever. So there's the appropriation program, the selling out problem. So that's um, what I wondered about when you said cult movie showing. So I see, I see things like the, you know, I see the Alamo, which is great. I fucking love the Alamo Draft House. Yeah, and that's 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 going away, right? Yeah. But I see them appropriating. Oh, are you a movie that people thought was funny of a particular time and quoted uh, often? Well, now let's make that come a, pay a lot of money. To yeah, see that's it on right. The yeah, right. like l- let's all go sit and quote Mean Girls together. And so it's it's I not think a moxie. We're going to do this at midnight, right? Yeah, it, it's kind of, of conjuring the element of this thing is unique and therefore set aside in time and space, and let's celebrate that time and space but let's pay an extra couple of dollars to do it and let's give you some tchotchkes on the way out the yeah door. so yeah. here's the thing cosplay is advertisement for characters in corporate ip is already a thing and the thing is, is they're getting better at it so you're having less booth babes and more guerrilla advertisement shit especially at places like comic-con which is like two means tested to be anything carnival-esque um and then, you know, just like welcome cosplay to like what happened to the punk movement and hip hop and everything else. Like it's the slow consumption by capitalism. Enjoy. And to as if there is any signifier I need beyond this, you can now buy your cosplay items at Hot Topic. Hmm. And if there's ever been the death toll of a of an outsider movement, it is when you arrive in Hot Topic. Um, you know what's not at Hot, hot Topic? Vaporwave. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> when it is, when it is, this is just like a greatest. I am going to just dance outside your home and say, "We all lose together, Peyton. We all float down here. Nothing is sacred." Um, so the other big thing, and this is a huge deal at Elf Cosplay, is pervs. So the carnivalesque is not without rules. It's an inversion of rules. And pervs and weirdos think that is a destruction of the laws of sexual consent, which it isn't. And that is far from the majority of the cosplay community. But we do live in an online mass media culture. And every time one of those terrible things happens, and that is broadcast everywhere, that sort of harms the nature of the carnivalesque because those people are shitty and harm everything around them. Um, And then finally, I worry that it's a lack of ritual. Like, there are children who cosplay at schools now on days where they feel like it for free expression. And I'm not saying they shouldn't do that. That's awesome. 
But the carnivalesque is valuable precisely because it is confined mm-hmm. within a ritualized space. Yeah. And the convention can be that ritualized space, but as conventions grow and go beyond farther and further and further, um, the thing is, the cathedrals having these body plays was allowed during the Feast of Fools because that release of pressure, that ability to laugh at yourself, helped maintain the system. And so the theocratic government in places without the Feast of Fools preserved that ritual because it was of use to them. If that, if it's just everywhere now, it's just been consumed. It's diffuse uh, enough to lose its cultural critique. It just becomes culture. Yeah. Um, and so those would be the dangers for cosplay, losing this sort of carnivalist status that uh, I've given it to. And Bakhtin as well. He would have loved cosplay. He would have had an OC. We all know that. It is for me the one one of the few things. He sounds that, like an, uh, a Homestuck fan. Yeah, he's. Oh, <laughs> Bakhtin would love fucking Homestuck. <laughs> one of the things that I've seen now at a couple of different cons and simultaneously gets me kind of like um, the most out of my own element, and also I think by by the same token, like like a little uncomfortable. Like I'm not uncomfortable with you doing it, but the idea of me doing it makes me want to like curl up in a ball in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's because I am so uh, conservative in my person in public settings in the first place. Yeah, no, that's the thing. Like, yeah. um, I've been asked about cosplaying. There's characters I would cosplay. Yeah, I don't mind looking like a fool. Obviously, we're doing this podcast. Right. Uh, but I'm often like, yeah, I don't have the body type for that. And then I'm just given these blank stares. And I'm, I deserve those blank stares because also at the same time, I'm never like, oh, you're, you don't look right for that character. Right, exactly. I'm not a dickhead. Right. I'm, not, I'm not awful to other people. But... I've so swallowed my chain That's on right. this sort of like body norm yeah. and like body shaming kind of thing that I can't even picture myself in this sort of carnivalistic space, which is a sign that it's a departure right. and, and, and a rebellion of sorts. Which that, I understand is kind of the point of some of this. That I'm sort of terrified to I, even I go there. I take that leap, people. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. like the fact that there's, there's I can't take a leap when it right. involves wearing funny clothes. Yeah. Like, yeah, that, that is a sign that it is somewhat outside yep. of the norm. So. Good for you. Take pictures with me. Not doing it. Yeah. Um, okay. More beer. More stuff. BRB. Spencer, what are you drinking? So this is from Victory Brewing Company. I've had it a few times. It's the Sour Monkey, although today it's hitting a little bit harder, I'm going to be honest. Um, Can I try it? Yeah. The first time I had this beer, I had it on draft in Denver, Colorado with one Joel Hawkins, and it was an absolute delight. I still think it is one of the easiest drinking, just straight up sours that I've had. Um, I don't know if it's a bottle conditioning issue uh, on this on this particular batch. Oh, I like it. I, yeah. Um, it's probably a Tamagotchi for me. It's probably a four. It's uh, That might be kind of old. I don't remember when we got that showed up in the fridge. Yeah, it's got sort of a Jolly Rancher thing on the back. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's not bad. It's sweet, yeah. yeah, yeah. But you're right. It has a little bit of a bite on the back that I don't remember. Of course, last time I had it was in draft. So yeah. um, things seem to change. And while I drink this, we're on jukebox in the back. So here's the thing. Um, by the time this episode airs, my birthday is right around the corner, May 20th. Historically, 
bangers. Just there, each and every one. A lot yeah. of things happening on my birthday. And this year, we've learned that my birthday and Noah, a.k.a. Broa Carden's birthday, are only two days apart. And so Noah and Jeb have decided to drive from the various locations, Virginia and Kentucky, to Springfield to do a joint birthday party thing. which a is SPOA, the, if yeah, you will. That's absolutely right. The most exciting thing, Noah's turning 30. Can't wait to just get hammered with Noah for his birthday. Um, but we're making it kind of like a two-day event. So we're doing some stuff on Friday, and we're doing some stuff on Saturday. And it struck me that really over the course of these two days, we're going to be in four phases of activities. And so I wanted us... This is how we make six parties, by the way. There's that's right. phases and then sub-phases. There's a lot of planning. Sub-activities. There is. Nothing spontaneous. If you've met my <laughs> wife, there's a lot of planning, is what I'm saying. So we're doing four phases of party over two days. And so I wanted to pick the best song for each one of those phases. Okay, so phase one is the casual day hang with Noah and Jeb. So Noah and Jeb are going to be here on Friday the 18th. I'm taking the day off as part of my birthday. Uh, I think they're actually going to get here the 17th, so we're going to get all Friday to hang out. So here's the thing. It's it's one day of the two-day birthday extravaganza, but not everybody is available because it's a Friday. You, for example, will be working. <sighs> So what you want to do is you don't want to go so hard in the paint on Friday that you feel... You can't do Saturday. That you can't do Saturday. That's right. But you also want to live up the Friday, like, day drunk, birthday hang, because you've driven all this way. If you're It's going to be warm weather. You want to keep a day buzz going. That's right. You want to keep a day buzz going. Uh, And then we have an event Friday night, but that's phase two. So for phase one, the casual day hang, what's the perfect song for that kind of event for you? It's summer. You want to keep a light buzz going. It's an oldie buddy goodie, but I think you need Electric Feel by Mm -hmm. MGMT. Mm -hmm. You can dance. You can sort of cast. Casually hang out, definitely on a patio. Yeah, you don't want to be inside while Electric Field's on because you need to be, you know, free to associate Love around it. the world around you, really explore the space. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 a no brainer for me. I, I love. If this I'm choice. on a patio, I want MGMT. MGMT, Ratatat, uh, Passion Pit. All of these bands make sense in here, and I yeah. think all of them are good answers. I originally started in that space, but then as I was listening to Spotify this very day during some work, I remembered that for a casual day hang, but a good day buzz. The thing that I really want to listen to, it's "Shake It Off" by Taylor Swift. If you just want to auto replace that with "But Then" and then everything after that is, I realized I had a list without Taylor Swift on it. Right. That's when you added Taylor Swift. That's exactly right. Yes. Okay, I just wanted to I, lend the audience into your thinking. I will listen to Taylor Swift, Demi Lovato, Miley Cyrus, Ariana Grande until I die. I do die. like the new T-Swift song. What, which one is that? All of them are good. Caleb, okay, sorry, you can't, can't pick one. Right, the sorry. album is stunning. <laughs> uh, that's what I want when I'm day drinking. So phase two of birthday drunk is going to be like a nicer dinner at a nicer sushi restaurant. So this mm-hmm. is kind of place with like sexy lighting and they serve things on like exceptionally nice plates and they have expansive sushi menus and weird items that I would never order. And so now I'm thinking, what do you want to listen to in that kind of like, oh, we're being adults here? Uh, mine is less a want to and more a prediction. So uh, on any sushi place I've ever been into that's not playing traditional Japanese music of some sort, the song Kiara by Bonobo is on. And it will be on at some point during the meal, it if will. not multiple times. It absolutely will. Uh, and I quite like Bonobo. 
uh, and uh, I quite like Kiara, so I'm okay with it. But is it is a song which I now hear and am instantly transported to a sushi restaurant. Yeah. And if they're not playing traditional Japanese music and they're also not playing Kiara, I will be skeptical as to whether they're actually a sushi restaurant. So, I'm with you on that. They've really defined themselves. Took a slightly- Caleb, what's your favorite type of sushi? <coughs> yeah, I'm curious about this. I absolutely hate it. I there, we there we go. Um, <coughs> here's, here's I thing. have been dragged to many of them <laughs> and will by be inconsiderate friends. But we'll we'll be again on yeah, May 18th. Yes. Yeah. You don't have to be there, Caleb. <laughs> I will be, though, because um, I'm a good person. They have good chicken teriyaki there. For I, what it's yeah, worth. I do like I chicken teriyaki like and fried rice, yeah, but it needs to be cooked like food. Most chicken needs to be cooked like Not food. roughage. Yes. The, I, you know. Raw fish is fine. It's fine. Um, fine. For me, it's not it's so much. fine. If, if it's not a castaway situation, get the <laughs> fuck out of here with that. If I'm not talking to a fucking volleyball and the volleyball's not, eat the fish. Like, no. So uh, I need to get a volleyball and learn mimicry. <laughs> yeah, try that. <laughs> Spend many hours working on it. I'm sure it'll work. For, anyway, you were saying. For me, uh, in these instances, it's not so much that I'm eating sushi or in a Japanese-themed restaurant. Uh, of an evening with nice lighting and some good bourbon, I don't drink sake. I'm not going to order in, any <sighs> interesting mixed drinks Saki's there. Delicious. I'm just going to order bourbon or whatever they've got that is like bourbon. Uh of an evening, I don't want to be too drunk, but I want to be politely and 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 playfully buzzed. I want to listen to Tennessee Whiskey by Chris Stapleton or anything by Chris Stapleton. Is that country? Yeah. So you just don't want it to be a sushi restaurant. Then. Yeah, I'm. You pretty... would rather go to a gas station and get some sushi. <laughs> I'll say this: like a good gastropub effect with a nice, like soulful country slash blues song in the background. With and I can't underscore this enough: some nice mood lighting and a good bottle of bourbon. Yeah. I'd be down for that. Having said that, I don't think we're going to get that at Haruno. Uh, but yeah, we can give it a shot. All right, phase three. We're into Saturday. What we come in there like yeah. Stetson's on, right? Well, like yeah. all for you, Spencer. Yeah, I'll take the Miller. Uh, <laughs> we are we are into phase three, uh, and on phase three, really exciting day. First off, the whole gang's together. Caleb and Sarah aren't working. I don't think Brandy's working. Uh, everybody is available on Saturday. We're going to spend the majority of our day at, frankly, uh, a sneaky good little bar in Springfield, Uncle. Bentley's. We've reserved the back room. Mm-hmm. They've got shuffleboard. They've got pool. They've got a touch tunes. They've got TVs. They got cheap ass Boulevard ginger lemon Rattlers and really cheap whiskey shots. This is where you're in it for the long haul. Yep. It's not just a day buzz. You are starting to start something today. Mm-hmm. So phase three, Uncle Bentley's and shuffleboard. What are you listening to? Ain't It a Sin by Charles Bradley. As you know, as my longtime shuffleboard partner and rival, it is a curious relationship I, we have I, there. I, I need some funk music mm-hmm. when I'm dominating a shuffleboard table. It, it makes me get the strut I need to really put that puck in the place it needs to be. Uh, and so Charles Bradley just does it right. thing that I will say about Caleb, I have seen Caleb make some of the most uncomfortably ridiculous shuffleboard throws of anyone in the history of shuffleboard. Typically, those are when we are not on the same team, and I need you to shut that shit down. I, I just want to say, I happy when you do the same thing. Like... I will never get closer to, like, the Dutch, like, Schwarzenegger, beginning of Predator, like, arm class, you son of a bitch, as with you and I playing shuffleboard. It's intense. And it's like, it's a chess game. Yeah, quite a rivalry. I'm interested in it. They are lengthy. We have actually, tables have shut us down by throwing the bars up in the middle. We've taken so long planning shots. Yeah, because we're canceling scores out constantly. So for me, this is where I'm past, like, light, fun, like, hey, it's nice out. Let's sit outside and, like, have a beer. This is like, let's go. 
And right now, if I'm wanting to get into a thing, it's Nice For What by Drake. And I just need to say this. I like a lot of Drake's music. Um, and I feel bad about that. I just did the that. meme, Adam. You did, the Drake yeah. Meme. yeah. I like a lot of Drake's music, and I feel bad about that. But frankly, there's a lot of good shit in there. And Nice For What, if you can't nod your head and feel like it is time to fucking party to that, you can't nod your head and feel like it's time to fucking party to anything. Mm-hmm. Finally, in phase four, the evening of tomfoolery. So at this point, we've we've really ripped the doors off this thing. We're making decisions. Maybe we're playing some games. Maybe we're recording some podcasts. Maybe we're doing some VR. I don't know. We're just going to see where the night takes us. You've got the right pick here, so I want you to go first. Uh, It's Toxic by Britney Spears. Absolutely, it is. It isn't close. I know it's been 15 years, and no, I will not leave Britney alone. Yeah, yeah. The only thing you could have done better here is when I said, you've got the right pick, so I'm going to let you go first. You could have said, it's Britney, bitch. That is literally (laughs) the only improvement you could have made. You're so right about this. I'm too excited to say Toxic. No, I know, I know. It is one of the five greatest songs in the history of songs. Mm -hmm. Uh, My distant (laughs) second. Producer Ross is... Slaying himself. Yeah. Yeah. My distant second here for Evening of Tomfoolery, and this is a recent but nonetheless deep cut, Bodak Yellow by Cardi B. Money moves. Man, I can get lit to some Cardi B music. It it is it is a club banger. I've never sounded more like I grew up in a suburb than saying I can get lit to some Cardi B I music. I don't want her to like run a circuit court or pump gas or anything like that but i want her to make songs like that all day long it is one of the, she's found her profession is it is saying. one of the most phenomenal we are getting i am otherwise terrified our porty on yeah, songs porty. uh one other thing to say about jukebox in the back a number of you after previous jukebox in the back jukebox in the back uh segments have asked for a listing of songs we've decided to take a slightly different approach here i have a spotify account under egon the warlock and i am going to start building a comprehensive mixed playlist so when we mention songs i'll throw them in there you can find me on spotify or find the playlist on spotify do what you want with that i don't care to be clear it will be eclectic jarring yeah jarringly eclectic in its transitions off-puttingly so uh yes that's what we do here people Mm -hmm. more beer more stuff we'll be back What's that beer? Well, you can tell by the red foil on top that this is an Avery Brewing product out of Boulder, Colorado. I don't know why I'm talking like an old time no, prospector. Like it. Yeah, right. It sort of came up. Colorado's the kind of bit. a prospector heavy yeah, state. Yeah, that's true. Was uh, it the talk of the pyrite? Oh, <laughs> peaches. It was probably the pyrite talk. <laughs> old man McGuckett you know how it gets is to going me. to climb to him and find gold. Anyway, it's the beast, Grand Cru Ale. From Avery Brewing. I'm going to try it now. It's got a pretty baller label, Spencer. Did you see the label? Yeah. There's a beast on it. I mean. Wait a minute. What? There's yeah. A, there's a beast on. Oh, God. Yeah. He is, Caleb's face is beast-like. Oh. <laughs> beastial. He's been cursed by the beast. Oh, God. How this much is, alcohol is in that? Well, it's from 2015 is something you need to know. Oh, oh, never mind. Well. Oh, my God. It's 17.2%. <laughs> it's actually just gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. I was gonna, I was gonna give it, I was gonna, I was gonna give it a error because yeah. it was from 2015, but it's 17. percent It just tastes like a shot of. I'm not drinking that. Uh, I gotta try a that shot of a, it. I, 
No. Oh, and now it tastes like blood. <laughs> that is what I imagine gack tastes like. Oh, my God. That's a hard gack. Why would you put that much alcohol in a beer? Is it still technically a beer? It's like I put a battery on my tongue. <laughs> I think that's a... Ugh. I think that's a oh. vodka. Oh. Ooh. Oh, it's liquid copper. <laughs> Who gave that to us? I don't even remember at this what? point. What sycophant? My God. Oh, my God. I'm sweating. <laughs> Whew. Well, that was a. That was a and hard... as you know, in the podcast, we finish every beer entirely, so Caleb's going to fucking. Fuck you. Absolutely no. not. Absolutely not. The man will die. He's going to. We're try. coming up on beer 300. We're getting too old for that shit. <laughs> Oh I did God. try and do that for the first 10 episodes or so before I realized I was Caleb, while we all myself. look at that bottle, <laughs> yeah, as the Ghostbusters... Across watch, the room where wa- we put it, far <laughs> away from us. Watched the toaster <laughs> in Ghostbusters <laughs> 2. Um, what are we talking about? And uh, Ask Mixed 6. Uh, we're going to talk about what John Burgess asks. And Westworld is back, and it means it's Fuck, time yes, it to ask about the ethics of virtual worlds. Do the choices we make in simulations, video games, TTRPGs, etc., matter, and do they bear moral weight? I have, in every second since I read this question, I have come up with a million different answers to it. I need to be honest about that. So okay. my, my gut pull is to say, yes, absolutely, they do. But I don't think this is a light switch uh, in terms of in terms of what matters here, I, I think that this is a a, a dial. You know what I mean? Uh, let me give some context here. So, uh, when, for example, I play God of War, and you know, to to use the the anecdote that that you brought up in a recent hot takes, and I you know shove the corpse of some person mm-hmm. into a, a wheel so <laughs> that it quits spinning, so that I might make it through a door. Yeah, I. I think I am able to write that off as a bug, not a feature in my moral <laughs> compass. Yeah. But as I have played um, some online games with people who I knew well or not that well, and have seen them continue to take not only um, some anti-moral, amoral actions, but routinely and enjoyably take anti-moral and amoral actions, and I start to think this is not a bug, this is a feature. Um, there are there are definitely spaces where the decisions that we make in specific settings, which not unlike the carnival esque, should be given unique protection around uh, how those decisions matter in a more tangible, more practical context. There are some things that I see and look at and and say I cannot. I cannot divide the action from the actor in those spaces. And so in those ways, I have to assume that all of the actions we take are tied to some piece of us. The question is how firmly are those things tied? uh, And at what frequency and intensity do those things really reflect who we are? I think. Yeah. I don't know. And I'm interested in your take on this. I think not only because you do a lot more of this than I do, but also because you've written settings in which people are forced to make questionably ethical decisions. Yeah, I live in a fantasy world. Yeah, Yeah. well, yeah, totally. Um, uh, Marxism. I think... You son of a bitch. Took a shot. Could not do it. Swish. Three-pointer. Slam dunk. He's on fire. I will throw this beer at your face. Spencer. It it will be like an acid attack. As punishment is absolutely you need to take a shot of that uh, (laughs) beast ale. Absolutely. Nothing is worth it. (laughs) Nope. Um... I think they matter, but I don't think they have weight. Does that make sense? 
Uh, so I think mm, that we mm-hmm. rehearse moral decisions through simulations. And I don't think that simulation is necessarily video games, even it's a vanishingly small portion of the time, but we rehearse our moral decisions through simulations, be it through books we've read, through scenarios we map out in our heads, and like saying that like the simulation that I have when I'm playing Grand Theft Auto or something has more weight than the simulation I have in my head as I imagine a moral decision. So, like, what determines moral weight? Graphical quality? Mm-hmm. Like, the number of polygons? Like, that's not, an, that's not a, any kind of system you can follow with. So, yeah. I, I don't think you can judge simulations as having moral weight because they're precisely simulations. Yeah. Now, you get problems if you go into, like, fearic philosophy. If it's like, all my senses could be a simulation. Yeah. But I, I think you do have to have that sort of sense of ataraxia. It's like, well, I'm going to go to the level of the most real. That'll be where, that will be where the moral weight resides. And then everything else is kind of going to have to be a simulation because I'm going to have to understand it. So, for instance, um, I went to extremes because they would be telling examples. So you have that game uh, Hatred that made a bunch of stink on Steam for being a school shooting simulator. I think the moral action of playing Hatred is less than or non-existent compared to the moral act of buying Hatred. Like, one promotes that level of simulation in the world, in that it matters, and it has actual weight behind it in that you gave it time and money. The other is you played a dumb game that was poorly made, and what hurt? Like, you killed some pixels that weren't real people. Like, I think it's a a simulation. Does that make sense? It makes sense to me. I mean, and and I don't know that I disagree. (laughs) I'm not saying that I disagree with the rationale that you've offered. I, I can see it hang together front to back. But I think maybe what I would disagree with is the notion that at some point, if the simulation transitions from hypothetical experimental space to practical effect of a thing, I, I think what I'm suggesting is that the there's not a hard and fast line between those things, it, I, I, I economic guess, or otherwise. I guess, but if you go that way, you really quickly arrive at like the fucked up Christian same cult- shame culture of like a sin in thought is the same as a sin in action uh, and like that shit gets fucked up real bad like it negates the purposeness of good good is not fighting against well, an impulse yeah. good is not fighting against the thought your thoughts themselves are shameful acts that you des- must demand forgiveness for but, like but I think it also I, encourages action because like if I thought it, I might as well do it because it's the same yeah but it's, I, it's fucked up from every direction I don't I think like there, that I think there's an important distinction here with which is the the question isn't is the nature of simulation one in which things have weight the question is the choices we make in simulations like video games and tabletop RPGs that those are spaces of action by nature so that so it's not just the hypothetical it's the enactment of hypothetical now it may be in a hypothetical scenario but you still made a decision and so i think i do think there's a distinction between i've had a thought and thoughts can be sinful. And I've had a thought, and then when given the opportunity to meet out that thought in a tangible way, whether or not that has economical cultural effects, I've chosen to do one thing over the other. I think those are fundamentally different things. Yeah, okay, like, but that's what I think. You matter. It matters, but it have weight. So, like, let's say the only video games you play are school shooting simulators. Anytime you get online, you. Uh, skew the main plot and go kill the most innocent thing you can find every time. And I know nothing else about you. I don't think it's unreasonable for me to say that, all right, of all of the simulations you can rehearse in your head for moral decisions, these are the ones that you choose 
to show the world and to be off put by that. Does that make sense? Like, and, but that's still the weight of like what you've shown me in like an online space playing together or something like that. And at the same time, I know people who make that decision in every video game who are perfectly fine people that are not awful human sure. beings. Sure, yeah, this is not, I, I, I'm not making some... If someone's giving me a quest in a video game, they could be the nicest orphanarium-ist PC on Earth. Baz is going to go murder them right before I get the quest. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. he's going to do it in the most horrific way possible. But I'm not saying Baz, Baz is like one of my favorite people. I don't like I ever. Don't, I don't want to come up with some categorical rule which says if given the, like infamous, right? If given the opportunity to do the light thing or the dark thing, you're going to do the dark thing and therefore you're a bad person. Yeah. I have no interest in that. Um, but I also don't have interest in the other side, which is saying, and because those decisions exist in a simulated space, they also have no moral value or do not contribute to some probably larger question of ethos or identity. Well, I'm, I'm willing to be an absolutist about it now. In the future, like if you get into a Westworld scenario right. or an AI thing, right. fuck all that. Like yeah. the game done changed. Like... I'm not willing to say that, like, well, it's not technically a soul. Yeah. It's just sentient computer bit. I, I, I also don't, I don't like that at all, but I, I want to make clear that I'm not making the 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 um like conservative argument which is like, well, therefore all video video violent video games are really the problem. I'm not making that argument. Yeah. I I, I, I don't agree with that sentiment. The argument I'm making is that I would be hesitant to dismiss the idea that because a thing is a simulation and happens in a game space, it bears no moral weight or matter on how a person actualizes their thoughts or starts to con constitute their identity. Mm -hmm. um, and so, no, I'm not saying violent video games are bad. Obvi we just we recently recorded hot takes about fucking God of War, in which I talked about how it's one of the best games it's I've played in a long time. It's a bit violent. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's in the title, folks. Um, but what I am saying is, I do think um, that there is... I, I think that... Um, that moral actions are constitutive of and can be constituted by the types of things which happen in simulated environments. And I think that it's reasonable to understand that or, or, or reasonable, reasonable to view things that way and is a reason to view those environments as, per, as potentially indicative of um, moral character actions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, John, you done made us had a drunk enough in the middle of the podcast. Right. Lucky for you, I just drank a sip of a twenty billion percent castor beer. oil. Yeah. So and he's drinking the rest of it in between segments. Yeah, you really lucked out, John. <laughs> but watch yourself. Watch yourself. Anyway, I definitely need a new beer. Let's go on to a different segment. Let's do that. I'm drinking a Rattler because the last thing I had was poison. Let's hope yours goes better, Spencer. What are you drinking? I am drinking from Goose Island, which is one of the um, first fucking uh, like craft breweries I got into, which is really probably not technically considered a craft brewery anymore. I yeah. don't know. Anyways, I'm drinking the 312, which is their urban wheat ale. Um, it's the, the wheat beer I tried after my love affair with Boulevard wheat ended because I wanted to see what other wheat ales tasted like. Uh, and I don't remember this one being as great to me. This is still a perfectly fine. It might be kind of like your standard bearer of wheat ales. Let me confirm. He is drinking it. 
it is going down his throat. Yeah, super light. It's probably a Tamagotchi for me. Throw a lemon in there and I'm real happy. Oh, I nice. drink the shit out of these. Right. Um, also, quick shout out. Uh, Joel Hawkins and I finished a 12-pack of Goose Island 312 whilst watching Shoot 'em Up one evening. Oh, I remember that 10 movie. years ago. And they made that movie. What a good night. They made that movie with... Clive Owen, Paul Giamatti, and Monica and, Bellucci. And pregnant Monica Bellucci. That's right. Yeah. Someone uh, yeah, thought it's too bad it couldn't have been someone a good movie. Everything right. in there was uh, a good idea. It's entertaining. Mm, they knew no, what they were it's doing. Not, it's not good. I'm it, with you, yeah. Producer Ross. I'm sort of amazed that it was made, though. Yeah. I can marvel at the gall. No, hey, you know why? Cocaine. <laughs> Well, generally, it seems yeah. a little late for the cocaine. Do excuse. you know why cocaine the, is here to stay? The, the, <laughs> cocaine's the perennial excuse. Let's yeah. just replace well, I'm start using for Hollywood at least. <laughs> let's just replace all cocaine references with the Beast Grand Crew Ale and yeah. assume it's roughly. I similar. think it's stronger. Hey, um, we're yeah. into armchair. No one's going to kill someone over that. Well, you did people, you try it? <laughs> people will die from it. <laughs> they won't kill for one another. That's well, true. now you're just getting into semantics. Anyway, <laughs> armchair director also T- tied for your number one vote. Tied getter. for your number one vote getter. Uh, uh, and I, I made look. I made a judgment call here. All yeah. right on on subtopic. Um, Infinity War. By the time this airs, will have been out. We will have seen it. Hopefully, recorded a hot takes hot takes about it. And the producer Ross is going the weekend that it launches. What if everyone was a side character? That's exactly right. Uh, Solo is coming up in just a few weeks in mm-hmm. May, and so it kind of got me thinking, like. What individual characters, or frankly side characters, would you like to see standalone films of? I picked the first three I came up with. I could go on forever. I picked the f- three of the first four I came up with. So I, I need to be honest about That's that. That's fair. I didn't do a lot of uh, curation on That's this That's fine. One. What's third on your list? Uh, I'm going to go Old Man Marley. Such a good pick. From Home Alone. Such a good pick. Uh, he's the shovel guy, if you don't remember his name. Uh, look, he's Boo Radley with a deep interior life. He's Boo Radley, but he doesn't just sit at his window and watch you. He's got stuff going on. He had a wife. He's got kids he doesn't talk to anymore. Until Christmas. He fought in a war. Like, he, he's out shoveling the sidewalk out of a deep sense of, like, penance, community service. What What do you know? He's he's deep religious. Look, imagine a, three, a Theodore Dreiser novel being adapted into a film, but at the end of that film... It turns into a John Hughes movie because it is that 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 is the life of Old Man Marley. No, it's pretty uh, crazy. It, it is a an American tragedy that ends with Kevin McAllister. Yeah, in in a bizarre change of event that really like cues you into like the unpredictability of life. It's it's a beautiful story, and it's also, also he murders the wet bandits. He just straight up. I know they the suffered face. a lot of trauma, but they got hit in the back of a skull with a metal shovel. Yeah. They're uh, dead. Now. The sequel will uh, contradict that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, the sequel yeah. has actually been a sticking point of my marriage. My but wife the sequel claims also that has pigeon magic, so I think Kevin's also dying, and it's all a fever dream in a coma. You're Jacob's laddering it? Yeah, what is the chances that she forgot him? <laughs> you can't Jacob's ladder what every What is the movie? chances she forgot him twice, Ross? All They're right. vanishingly you can't, small. You can't Jacob's ladder any movie you don't like. I can, and I have. <laughs> my wife believes that the sequel is better than the original, and it's one of the things that makes me think that well, she's Brandy the Well, Brandy also has a person. box of rocks That's right. that she's preserved. <laughs> wow. Well, correction, yes. had. <laughs> uh, number three for me um, I don't know that this technically qualifies as a side character but it's the follow up film that I've not seen that I want to see desperately and it's Ava Alicia Vikander's character from Ex Machina yes I would like to see Skynet 
rise through social engineering rather than just launching the nukes. That's right. I would like and to Ava see... And Ava could do that. Yeah. I, th- I think that Ex Machina is legitimately one of like the five or ten best sci-fi films I've ever seen. Legitimately terrifying. Terrifying. And, <laughs> and I think one of the best elements of Ex Machina is the way that it ends. Mm-hmm. I also think that it's so good in the way that it ends, that the follow-up to that would be equally, if not more, interesting in some ways. Like, outside of the Asimovian box of what the fuck happened here, how do you get out of this? Like, and then what happened when she got into the real world and had learned social engineering? Uh, Number two on your list. And we didn't coordinate this, but oddly enough, I picked a movie by the same director. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with Kane. Uh, and, and Oscar and also, Isaac's character. Also featuring Oscar Isaac. Yeah, yeah. from Annihilation. Uh, and um, here's the thing. I will. It doesn't have to be Kane. It could be any previous or subsequent doomed expedition into Area X now that they've made it far more interesting on film than Jeff could ever do in the book. I'm sorry, Jeff. It was very weird. And I liked it very much for reasons that were not entertainment. Because it's really just a lot of staring at weird plants. Followed by inexplicable disappearances. And I will take Skull Bear that can speak human in a film any day. And this could just be the James Bond of weird cosmic horror. Like, we've got to give a director a new shot. Let's see how he does it. Let have him kill an expedition in area. Yep. Let's see how weird and fucked up we can make it. Like, I would totally agree. Watch every single one of those, and I would be waiting for the new one with bated breath. Yeah, Just, that's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I like most about Skyfall, for example, uh, is that the, uh, the bad guy, played by What's His Face from No Country, Javier Bardem. Yeah. Felt extraterrestrial. He felt beyond the James Bond universe in some weird way. James Bond is the jazz standard of blockbuster movie making, and I want one of those with weird cosmic horror shit. That's right. And adaptation's fucking perfect for it. Like, oh, we gotta check this kid's new chops. Give him him an Annihilation movie. I said adaptation. That's about uh, Nicolas Nicolas Cage Cage. seeking orchids. Right. Uh, Kill Nicolas Cage looking for orchids. Area X. I would watch that. Um, yeah. Number two on my list, and an area of the Tolkien film franchise that I think is generally underexplored. Uh, it has been, for me, the most interesting element of the Tolkien films. And also, if you played any of the Lord of the Rings games on PlayStation 2 or PlayStation 3, the best part of those video games, it's the elves, and it's not close. <laughs> so Tariel, played by Evangeline, Jill- uh, Evangeline Lilly, who I just love generally. I was a hardcore Gimli player, and I think that says a lot about us. It does say so much about yep. us. My God! I mained Gimli all day long. Yeah. Yep. No, I was a Legolas guy. Yeah. yeah. Stab well, him, then shoot him. Yeah. Then run away. <laughs> uh, Evangeline Lilly, I thought, was like, of all of the things that are wrong with The Hobbit as an extension of the Tolkien universe, the Peter Jackson Tolkien universe, uh, adding Evangeline Lilly was not one of them. Tariel wasn't it. No, she makes for a wonderful protagonist. She's terribly interesting. Uh, I generally find her compelling as a human. She wants to sex up that dwarf. Yeah. She does, and she's also interested in some things outside of just getting with Legolas, which are functionally and I hanging appreciate. out in trees. Yeah, bingo, bango, more Tariel. Uh, number one on your list. All right. What's more Peter Parker than Peter Parker? A guy who's Peter Parker before making a tragic mistake that makes him have Peter Parker morality. Yeah. That's Ned Leeds from Spider-Man Homecoming. Love it. At, at this point, I think after Infinity War, we just need a Ned Leeds movie. Being tubby and ineffectual in high school, but still 
aiding in seriously heroic efforts at his own danger and doing so at extreme personal cost because he just became that kid who looks up porn in the public school library. Yeah, the guy save, in the chair. To sit, he's the guy in the chair, and yeah. I want a movie about the man in the chair, yeah. mm-hmm. and I want that man in that chair to be the Ned Leeds character because God, he's just adorable. I love. It. He's wearing the mask. He's just so great, hanging out, making Millennium Falcon Lego. Ah. We need a hero, and it needs to be Ned Leeds. I am so excited about this pick, partially because I think it's a great pick, partially because we did not coordinate on these lists, and my number one is actually just the old version of Ned Leeds. <laughs> it's Egg Shin from Big Trouble in Little oh, yeah. China. Oh, yeah. Ned Leeds, Way more interesting. Yeah. Ned Leeds is actually just 40 years before Victor Wong. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so Egg Shin, I think, is one of the most underexplored characters in film history. The, the the whole conceit of Big Trouble in Little China is that Jack Burton has just been thrown into this random world of Chinese mysticism and meets Egg Shen, who acts like all of this is just a fucking Tuesday. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, it's low pan and the floaty eyeball thing. Mm-hmm. Here is a concoction of spices and herbs <laughs> that will take care of those things and also a fucking Uzi. Are they like, really described as spices? Well, I'm I'm extrapolating a little okay, bit here. Hey, that's... All right. What I'm saying is like, Egg Shin treats the... Ins- You've seen Big Trouble in China, right? It's right. not woke. <laughs> right. You know, you know it's just pepper. It's like pepper and a Chinese <laughs> herb and yeah. now that floaty eyeball thing is gone. Yeah. Um, Egg Shin is, he's living this life. And I want to know what that life looks like from start to finish. And I'm not convinced that life doesn't begin as Ned leads. <laughs> yeah. He's just, he's just really earnest and hates immortal Chinese sorcerer. <laughs> he's just, he's explore because he's about to meet Dr. Strange. He's exploring <laughs> this world beyond his average New York experience. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, he's running down tunnels and throwing pepper packets yeah. at fucking um, Chinese demigods. Mm-hmm. And soon he'll have grandchildren and they will be three ninjas. <laughs> Time to get more beer. Time for drunk enough. <laughs> In this, our final segment, Caleb, what are you drinking? I am drinking from the Brooklyn Brewery, the Brooklyn Defender IPA. It's a really gorgeous it label. It has a, like a sort of Lichtensteinian uh, like label on it. Silver so Age comic. Yeah. I, you know who this came from? Uh, I have no idea. We're, yeah, we were guessing we have maybe. Sort of I'm guessing Copper Crane, but I don't know. Right, because it's uh, from New York, but also maybe not. I just hope Caleb doesn't start punching in hallways after this, because it is called The Defender. I well, don't hope that. <laughs> Opposite. I am really not physically fit. It'd be one or two punches. So this then. is an iron fist for you? Uh, this is going to be a... You see what I did there? Cause the super super tech deck. deck. Oh, would have lost some money there. It's an IPA. So yeah. it's it's good for an IPA. Yeah. But it's an IPA. Okay, that's reasonable. It's hey, we're in drunk enough. What are we talking about? Uh, we're going to talk about something that Greg Bennett suggested. Uh, after a long few weeks, I've been thinking of self care recently. What are your tactics? Any particular comfort food slash sows uh, tactics that help you get through the day? So, um, I have sort of a fraught relationship with this. The longer I think about it, you and do. it's not anything with Greg. I'll get to that eventually. So let's like answer Greg's question definitively. I think first. that's a good idea. Yeah. 
Um, here's something that I've learned about myself in the last uh, couple of years, after I left uh, academia, I suppose. Um, uh, I go through, uh, like, stress periods, phases of stress, uh, peaks and valleys, maybe. And I find that when I come out of some of those periods of stress, or when I'm in some of those periods, well, both, when I'm in some of those periods of stress, and then when I come out of them, I, uh, I have a, I don't have a good metaphor for this, but for lack of a better way of describing it, I have a tendency to kind of turn off the like, worry about it, and turn on the like, just get it done until it's done. And I don't have a good internal metric for, okay, now the thing's done, so turn whatever that thing was off and just relax a little bit. And so I have to intentionally recognize and then force myself in those moments that it is time to unwind, it's time to stop, it's time to unpack, whatever that is. Um, And it's not a question of hours worked, it's not a question of hours awake, it is a question of intensity and focus and internal stress, metronome. That's been going far too fast for far too long. I'm really, really bad at coming out of those periods of time. And so are there some things that I've done over the past couple of months in particular to manage those things better? I think so. And I think, and I know that this is going to be kind of the bulk of your your uh, bit here, I think that these things probably fall under the rubric of self-care, whatever that means. So here, here's what I do to make myself feel like I haven't broken myself. Um I watch shows that I'm really, really familiar with of an evening because I don't have to sit and think about them. So, for example, I love watching new television shows, especially new television shows that I find interesting. But if I'm watching something new that I've not encountered, then I want to devote my attention and my focus to that thing because I don't want to miss stuff. And so that's not a particularly social act for me. I'm okay to sit reasonably quietly and watch a new show. Something dumb or something you've seen before. That's right. Something something that I've a seen before. Show. That's right. Yeah. Something that I've seen before, like The Office. Mm-hmm. I watch The Office as a, a decompressor. Um, I don't have to pay attention to it. It doesn't force me to feel like I need to turn my brain off and pay attention to this thing. I could quote it back to people in my sleep at this point. So, yeah, I put on some comfort shows, friends, things that I've seen a million times that are background noise and make me feel because there's something better going on in the world around me. It's not silence. It's not me left to my own devices. But I also don't have to commit or devote myself to them at all. So one of the things that I do is, yeah, I watch dumb shows. Not dumb shows. I watch shows that I've seen a million times. Um, Other thing that I do is uh, I... I don't have a good way of saying this, I guess. Um... I make myself eat better uh, when I feel like I've done too much. Um, I don't revert back to comfort foods. I do the opposite, which is like, can I not have a bunch of cheese or can I not have a bunch of red meat or can I, could I get up and run this morning? Um, I try to make myself do something intentionally different than whatever rut or pattern or rhythm I feel like I've fallen into as part of this mind numbing, uh-huh. uh, breaking myself metronome. Right. Yeah. And so I try to put, do something to break myself out of that. So mm-hmm. I actually try to do intentionally the opposite of what I've been doing. And I know in some ways that's probably counterintuitive to what Greg is looking for here. He's looking for a thing that makes you feel like you're outside of yourself, I think. And now you're feeling more at home, relaxed. What, what I'm telling you is sometimes for me self-care is in fact the act of not doing the thing I've been doing a lot of because that's not a caring act in and of the first place and I think that's probably a good entree to where I assume you're going with some of this okay 
stop me when I'm not in the self-care realm anymore. Okay. Yeah, right? that seems reasonable. I'm just going to I'm going to throw my hand up. I'm going to list things. Yep. And I want you to say stop. Right. That's not self-care. Okay. Cuz where I arrived at this and like what does that mean? What is our definition of self-care? Cuz I think I think what's about to happen I here I don't know, right? I don't know. And so, I think that's the trick. So stop me. Yep. Unplugging my phone for a bit. Self-care still? I think I see I I kind of think that is self-care, but let me t- I think that's self-care because I literally work for an internet and digital marketing company. My phone is a part of my being. If I feel like I'm overworked, overstressed, overheated, I will put my phone in a different room because well, I don't want to respond I actually to looked up a definition of self-care. Right. And it's a thing that you choose to do right. to add to your mental health. So I started on the low end of things. Um, so on that, in that regard, choosing to unplug my phone. Uh, Reading a like book. Feel... Uh, for pleasure, not for work. Yeah, can be, sure. I, okay. I'm not going to say yes, no. I'm going to say can be. All right, go out to eat at a restaurant. Can be. Sleep in or nap. Yeah. <laughs> really? I don't, okay. I don't know because... Oh, we're not even... Th- th- right. We're not even to the good shit yet. Yeah. I think I think the trick is, right, like, so if for... So, so and, I, and I get where this is going. Like, for me, if I'm hyper-stressed because we've got a big deadline at work... Self-care isn't sleeping in. Self-care is waking up and fucking getting the thing done so I don't have to stress about it oh, anymore. Oh, it gets so much better. Yeah. Getting into an argument with libertarians on the internet. <laughs> Which is I watched on you the do list? last week. Makes me feel a whole bunch better. And I only do it when I'm having a bad day. <laughs> right. Healthy? Right. All right, let's keep going. Getting blasted at a bar. Sure. Just shitty fucking drunk yeah can be not exercising and not worrying about it can be um eating worse foods than i usually eat right. which is pretty bad wait but self-care so did you read this question and this, this is kind of like what i'm curious about did you look at this question and go there is a prescriptive bucket of self-care items so what's in- the difference maybe between self-care and a coping mechanism and there it is, because I don't know, because self-care, when it's used, and I'm not saying, Greg, you're using this, because like there is stuff I honestly do in there. I unplug, I read a book for pleasure. It's not, because my intellectual life is my work life. Using my intellectual life or something other than my work mm-hmm. is, there are things that I think are healthy, but self-care has this connotation of health, like self-care, go exercise, do yoga, meditate, drink a kale shake. And some of my self-care items and like things that make me mentally more healthy so maybe that's the clearly do not make me physically healthy. But that's not the self-care stuff that's prescribed. Like your idea of like, I'm having a really bad week. I should eat more kale just fucking freaks me the fuck out. I was like, oh, I worked a 14-hour day. I should really worry about what a fat piece of shit I am, too. That's going to help things out with this work and this other work thing and this other work thing. I should shame myself while well, maybe, cooking maybe, food. Maybe, maybe it's not that. Maybe, I mean, you're looking at just one spectrum, which is physical health. Maybe self-care is more like, I should go to therapy or something like that. Well, yeah, I yeah. mean, I, I wonder about In that. In some so, cases, So yeah. this question, what's the difference between self-care and coping mechanism? Like, I go buy myself things. Is retail therapy self-care? I, th- I think it can be, and I think the question is, for me, and this is where, but, these but are where things... here's my question comes. If right. self-care can be nearly right. anything, right. is it anything? Well, okay, yes. I, and I think I think this is where the distinction I'm, is Because I'm not me. saying don't take care of yourself, I, but I'm saying as a term... Brushing your teeth is self-care. 
I mean, it's literally self care. You are caring for yourself. You're caring for your. But that's teeth. caring for my teeth. Does it mentally make me you? feel better? Yeah, yeah. Well, is having a cavity better? <laughs> I um, don't know. Here, it's not. Here's here's spoiler th- alert. Having bad teeth does not improve your mental health. Here's the distinction for me. I think that, and and this coping mechanism question is actually pretty enlightening. I think that I'm not anti self care, as I want to be perfectly yeah. clear. I think there's. A I just as a term don't understand it. I think, I think maybe that if we look at it from the toothbrush thing, the the brushing your teeth thing, that's that. But by that degree, I should go exercise, and it should be like, man, there are other a, ways to do that. Like, you've had a really hard week. Go run, you fat piece of shit. Not, like not, that doesn't help. You're, me. Lo- you're you're focusing entirely on one spectrum, on <laughs> one thing, and it's not just that. I think there's a difference between yeah. a management strategy and a growth strategy. So let me say that. So I think that in many ways, coping mechanisms, as I understand them, are management strategies. I have a high yeah. amount of stress right now, mm-hmm. so I want to manage that stress as much as possible yeah. so it doesn't break me. Oh. Self-care can be, for me, though, more of a uh, more of a growth strategy. I also want to improve myself I think right the, now. I think the difference is uh, self-care is something that is ultimately beneficial to yourself, whereas a coping mechanism is to, yeah, manage your stress for right now, but could be self-destructive. For example, yeah. getting drunk is not self-care because yeah. you're getting, you're hurting yourself. I mean, alcohol is literally poison. Yeah, I get it. So, yeah. And that's not to say you can't use but both. This, you should be able to use both. But this alcohol provides me with money. Yeah. And I, money's really helpful for my self-care because it keeps my lights on and my food bought and no. I think, all sorts of... So, but that, that makes it work. Makes it work. What the fuck does that mean? Here's the thing. You're making money. Yeah, I feel like it. you're it's being antagonistic. Works. I literally don't know what the term means, and yeah. I'm asking for a definition that's yeah. a definition. What? And I've looked for it online from therapists, and they've not given it to me. Okay. So but if what, you can explain it to me in such a way that's like definitional, I'm in on the bit. I, yeah. So that's what I'm trying to do. My my suggestion is that I think the problem with the definitions that you've identified, and, and I think you're right that many of them and are is problematic. The, is that not the majority of the definitions? No, I think I think they absolutely are. I think I, I think that those definitions are activity, not outcome oriented. And so saying this thing is self care as an activity, I don't think is very helpful. Think, which is why my dynamic approach to it can be because is the outcome. For you to manage your stress, which I, which I mean, sure that 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 it probably in some ways could be caring, but I think for me is will doing this thing literally improve my state of being? I think that falls under this category of self care. The question then becomes what activities fit under that, and I think the reality is the the putting aside the fucking Puritan in me, I think the reality is that a number of things could fit in the bucket of do I think that this helps me improve the self. But I think the distinction there isn't in the activity, it's in the outcome or the motive. I also think maybe like the differences between a coping mechanism and self-care is that self-care is actually work. And so like there is at a certain threshold where you cannot do self-care because you're too tired, overwhelmed, whatever. So like I think there there is sort of a definitional change or that you need someone else to do the work for you. All right. Can, can I trace my thought process on this? Yeah, yeah. Spencer proposed it. I'm like, okay, that sounds good. So, uh, self-care is generally a good thing. Yeah. And then I thought about, what do I do? And then I couldn't understand which things I did was self-care and which weren't, because they all mm-hmm. make me mentally feel better. Then I did a shit ton of research on it. Then I was more confused. Yeah. Then I made notes. Um, and by the end of it, we arrived where we're at now, where I'm not saying, don't take care of yourself. I'm not saying, 
don't treat any issues you have. I'm saying that for myself personally, and therefore for the world entirely, because all I have is personally, is I don't know what the term means. So right. um, here's what, I have a three-point thing that I have questions at. So what does it even mean? Does it have to be healthy? All right. Um, if it stresses me out and I hate it, but it's still healthy, is it self-care? Mm-hmm. And we've arrived that maybe. Um, if my self-care is getting blasted at a bar, is that self-care because it makes me feel better? That kind of thing. So then it went deeper than that. So then I said, well, doesn't the term itself imply linguistically, and trace me with this, that the action does not originate from myself, but is merely carried out by myself, in quotes, to enable the leisure of something or someone else? Like, so for instance, when I get dressed in the morning, I don't consider it self-dressing. I dress, all right? Uh, When I eat breakfast, I eat eat breakfast, I feel no need to describe it as feeding myself unless for somehow my autonomy was challenged in that. Uh, I don't feel like it is self-feeding. But when no one will assist me with education required for a job or a task, I must be self-taught. If something doesn't require the payment and scheduling of a technician, it self-repairs. We don't use the self-prefix typically in English to depict merely an action done by oneself. That is sort of assumed by the verb tense. Uh, we use the term self before something as a prefix to, it, to talk about someone, a person or a service that is not required. Like, so if I'm caring for myself, is no one else caring for me? Because that's kind of fucked up. And then I get to the third thing. And I really went down a rabbit hole on this, Greg. You really I'm did. sorry. Does the term just abrogate more responsibility away from society, which works and stresses people out to the point of madness destruction? Well, sure. Or, or, yeah, yeah. No. Or else the term self-care wouldn't have entered the lexicon yeah. as yeah. hard and yeah. as fast you, as it does. You have to do it because. Um, and does it not abrogate that responsibility away from society and onto the individual? And is that additional pressure of thinking about my health as another responsibility as another responsibility thrown upon my shoulders? Is that necessarily healthy? If I have to like get the vegan kale smoothies and go to yoga mm-hmm. eight times a day and all that kind of shit and like meditate and mindfulness and visualize and write a check to the universe for everything to be wonderful and pure, and if that's my responsibility along with like getting up for work and making sure I don't uh, like get evicted from my home and all kind of shit like isn't that is that healthy like if well, that's my responsibility I mean, too part of it is that you keep referring to a very specific type of self-care that only refers to some people the kale and the the visualization and stuff like that and there's multiple forms of it um and you know one thing obviously modern society is alienating and fucking very destructive to you know the middle i don't think anybody's gonna argue that Society, well, yeah, but is I not never see like alienating I never see like even play a video game on the self care. Yeah. I see like, and that's like not acceptable in most areas where you lift self care activities. Sure. And like, why is that? Am I harming someone? Is that a coping mechanism well, I, that's bad? I, like, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's certainly assumed uh, in in this kind of self care thing. There is sort of a cultural bias towards certain forms of expression. Versus and I, I others. suppose that might be what I'm referring yeah. to because yeah. I've only seen it referred to it from that cultural right. bias. Yeah. And therefore I don't know what the unbiased dictionary definitional term is. Right. Because I looked that up in a literal yeah. psychiatry thing and it says anything self-initiated that helps mental health, which seems as a psychiatry definition just insane because well, like 
but that's it, what addiction is. And I'm not saying right, I am yeah, but like, right. But, but what it is and, and not to be too much of a dead horse here, or maybe to, to exclusively beat a dead horse, but that's why uh, I think that the bridge between, you know, your, your criticism and Ross's observation of your criticism, which is the exclusive focus on a particular set of activities, which are aimed at physical health and trendy health categories that is not a meaningful way of approaching how one cares for the self. But if instead we think that that is a batch of activities and a lot of different activities could fit under the purpose of making oneself feel better. So for me... But here's the thing. It's sort of an advice question. Yeah. And I don't want to be like, Greg, go learn Tai Chi in addition to all the other fucking shit you have to do. Because like, yeah, someone on self-care blog is going to like abrogate that or, or Griff Paltrow is going to say go to fucking Paris right. on your dime like but I'm at the same time like if if I believe that to be true haven't I just damaged myself more because like I don't need that shit on my plate the not thing, necessarily because like yeah. my suggestion uh, for example of like one of the things that I do is I force myself to do things that get out of my routine because part of the time part of the time I feel like when I'm damaging to myself it's because I'm stuck in a routine yeah I'm not advocating do Tai Chi I'm not advocating go for a run I'm advocating do a thing which breaks a routine because routines are the problem. And so I think that there's a way... And I think that works for, like, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a way of offering... Yeah, I mean, if it's an advice question, I think there's a way of offering some advice uh, which is not rooted in a, a specific entity but instead suggests the outcome, the purpose, is to break yourself of this thing, to not focus on these things exclusively, et cetera. So that's why I'm saying like the, there's probably like a reasonably objective approach here that I'm trying to hew out. I mean, do you understand, well, my, okay. do you understand I, my critique, though? Oh, like, yeah, 100%. No, I understand I, your critique as well. Um, the thing that I keep thinking back to is actually, <laughs> sorry to say, uh, the Rick and Morty episode about therapy. Um, because Sir, Susan Sarandon's speech at the end, where she says, it's work. And it's saying it's like brushing your teeth. It's like you know wiping your ass after you, you take it. You know, it's something you have to do. It's not pretty. It's not exciting, but it's something you have to do. And I think that's a thing. And the problem and and the real tragedy with self care is that it may not be possible to do because you don't know. You may need an expert to help you explain it, an individualized therapist or something like that. And there may not be an easy solution. There may may, may not be something to wiki. I mean, right. Like, and so I don't know the answer because i'm not an expert in this field so i don't know like right. but self-care i think is a kind of work that you have to do uh to improve your mental health and coping mechanisms are essentially improving your mental health at the cost of something else like yeah. your physical health or your financial state right um so i mean that's how i'm seeing it right now but again this is my layman perspective yeah, yeah. i am not for the at all the kind of like chicken soup for the soul prescriptive lists of things that make people feel better that you're yeah directly that's very that's very oriented yeah. towards a particular type not, of person not, yeah and to be greg you should do stuff that gets you through the day and i listed some things that are that are healthy oh like, yeah yeah um, and might help you that are at least uh, are at the least very least innocuous uh, yeah go for a walk or but something. but yeah like I, I would also urge greg don't read goop are some bullshit and think that like, well, I'm just a broken person because I haven't done fucking Kama Sutra yeah, right. tantric. Try sex something else yeah. enough, yeah, and I should learn how to do that. Totally. Except homeopathy, don't try that. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, and there's going to be a ton, and like every time I look this shit up, it's right. like half that. Yeah, and I'm like, Ugh. yeah. So, you know what? Maybe my answers aren't right, but like, 
Yeah. I don't think that one is either. Right. Like, right. Like, and um, also, like, Marxist critique, like, I'm not concerned there is a thing in modern society where you do it without the cost of something else. Like, I'm not sure that thing exists in an area. Yeah, there's where definitely every, a transaction. Where every sure. segment of your time, as a guy who's monetized nearly every leisure activity he has, um, the point of doing a thing that's not monetized and, like, when every second of your time is money, like, that, that moment where, like, this thing universally helps me and does nothing to harm me, like, I think that's simplistic. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I would suggest... I would suggest trying different things at different times. So, you know, some nights for me, putting on the office in the background is meaningful because I need something to distract me a little bit, but not something that I have to pay attention to. Other nights... And like the show, like the thing about like shows that are just, I've seen a million times before, I've watched Parks and Rec like eight times. Right. Like, but sometimes... I don't need to see it again. Like, yeah, that's perfect. Of a similar evening, radical silence is the thing that matters the most for me. And so, so the question becomes, I think, it's not what should, what activity should I do? It's what am I trying to accomplish? You know, this is actually, uh, and I'll, I'll, um, there's actually another podcast that is about this kind of topic. Uh, Reconceived, yeah. Reconceived by Melissa Sundwell, a friend of the podcast. And that might be something to listen to uh, to get more ideas or something to ask her that that they could do in a future episode. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Totally recommend the Reconceived You bring it up far away from me because I don't want to become a case study because I realize (laughs) there's probably something deeply neurotic about my entire thought process. So yeah. Don't tell me what they say. Uh, I will skip that episode and uh, make sure I'm far away when you bring it Aww, up. And otherwise, uh, otherwise, Melissa does a great if podcast. You feel, if you, uh, be sure to donate to our Patreon to approve uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, Kale's Mental State. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That'll help me out a lot. Yeah, Thanks. exactly. Yeah. Um, hey, if you've been listening to any of this, we appreciate all of the time, energy, resources that you commit to us for any, any of the amount of I episodes you've listened to. I hope we're part of your self-care. Yeah, absolutely. What Whatever that term means. Right. And if we aren't, we're sorry. <laughs> Do something else. <laughs> or, All don't. Right, or don't. Spencer, you had... Uh, just... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Didn't quite stick the lid. I yeah. don't want to be... I don't want to contribute negatively to people's lives, guys. All right. Okay? Keep up, keep up with the outro. That's positive for everyone. Yeah, let's do that. Hey, thanks so much for listening. We appreciate <laughs> you your time, your energy, your commitment, and your passion for what we do because we know... It's very important. Um, if you're not already following us on Twitter, check us out at The Mixed Six. You can find us on Facebook. We've got a page and a group where The Mixed Six podcast. And you can check us out on YouTube. We've got a couple of videos of us saying stupid things. Thanks to Maddie Gibbons. Producer Ross has put a couple of things up there uh, from Snippets of Adventure Season 1. Snippets of Adventure Season 2 is now in full swing, featuring Sarah and Brandy, Monsters and Other Childish Things. Check it out if you're not already backing on Patreon. And thanks to David N., you can find some really cool animatics, uh, short clips of us saying just the dumbest stuff we've said over the last year and a half. Also, you can mail us things at The Mixed 6 2131 West Republic Road number 101, Springfield, Missouri 65807. And all of this information is available on the About section on our Facebook group. Thanks so much for everything that you do. And if you're unaware or you didn't hear it at the beginning of this episode or any of the other recent episodes, we'll be kickstarting a game on May 23rd, Party Foul the Game. It's about drunk ducks and strategy. We think you'll love it. It's probably the best game you've never played. Feel free to check it out We'd love to have your support. Um, Thanks so much for listening. Once again, I'm Spencer. I'm Caleb. And this is the Mix 6 Podcast. We'll see you next time. Quack.